My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be someone who remembered that this was part of the intro, but this week I'm not. Oh, well, you didn't have to prepare for this one. And I this... mean, I literally did and then fucked up. <laughs> I didn't prepare a single word to say for this part of the intro. I fucked up, Chris. You know what? But I'm a big enough person to admit it. What's really amazing is that this is all scripted. <laughs> I actually prepared too much. Yes. And at this point, it's kind of getting in the way. Yeah, it's you're committing to the bit, what I, which I appreciate, but it's not the best bit. Yeah. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Noticed, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode of the masterpiece Burn Notice on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, and C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or on our Twitter at burnnoticepod. But this episode, Wanted Man, aired on August 16th, 2007. It was written by uh, Craig O'Neill and Jason Tracy, who went on to write for The New MacGyver and Elementary, respectively. It was directed by... uh, Ken Garotti, who's directed for a ton of shows, and there's absolutely nothing funny to say about it. Boring. Yes. Is this her first co-written episode? Um, I think so. I'm not sure. Anyway, the premise of this episode, also taken from IMDb, also not funny. IMDb isn't funny, that's what we're learning. Fiona decides to try bounty hunting, but then convinces Michael to help prove the man innocent. All right, we start out at Fee's Place, which we've never been to Fee's Place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Fee's Place. It looks great. Yes, there's so much space. She looks like she actually pays money to live there. Right? <laughs> there are no drug dealers on her block. I mean, it's funny to say there's so much space because there is a good amount of space, but I, I'm so used to being used to being in Michael's place. Right, like the warehouse Which is a warehouse with, like, nothing in it. Mm -hmm. Although he does have that nice kind of loft area, Mm -hmm. which I do like. It is cool, but also would probably suck to live in. Yes. I imagine it seems very cold Mm -hmm. at Michael's place. Yes. Whereas there's a nice warm feeling Mm -hmm. to Fee's place. It feels like a home. It does. It's not a house, it's a home. Yes, exactly. Michael comes to visit Fee at her place, and he just wants to talk about... The dossier with all the information. The one on... that Jason Bly gave him at the end of last episode. Exactly. Um, because apparently there's a lot of stuff in it that's not so true that makes him look not great. And that's all he wants to talk about. But all Fee wants to talk about is how they boned. Mm-hmm. How on... they did it. Well, and also... So... How they did the horizontal <laughs> bing bang. Yuck. <laughs> how they bumped their pretties. <laughs> yes. Um, no, something else that's weird about this is that... Uh, I, and I noted it at the beginning and end of this episode is that so Michael comes over and it's not just that they're having a meeting like he comes over and she's cooking for him. Yeah. And also she tells him that he's she's cooking his favorite meal. Yeah. Tahini and tuna, which is bizarre, but OK. I don't know what that is. Yeah, that's a tahini w- is a part of hummus. It's like a, a, a ingredient in hummus. Oh. That's some, but like it's just like a like a semi condiment. I don't know. It's a very weird meal. But also Michael just says good memory and then doesn't thank her. She's fucking cooking his favorite meal and he's like compliments her like mental prowess, but doesn't thank her for doing it. And this happens at the end of the episode too, where he does something for Fiona and, or maybe at the end of next episode, I don't remember. And like Fiona also doesn't thank him. Like they're just very bad at like basic compliment. Like, I don't know. Like You understand Brie, in order to be a spy, you have to not be good at basic compliments. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just, it struck me as like, that's rude. When you're facing down death as a spy, you don't have time to remember to say thank you. (laughs) Anyway, so Michael shows up with his big, fat, thick, girthy file. Which is not the fat, thick, girthy thing that Fiona wanted to talk about. Exactly. And then almost trips on a step in her place. That will be important later. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and we (laughs) step... (laughs) <laughs> I have moved the mic further away from Chris because very... he's proven that he can't be trusted with it that close. Oh, um, but I do like right away, and we'll talk about the uh, spy tips later. I wish I had a lot of trouble with this this week, um, but it does start right away. Covert operatives have a hard time dating, which I appreciate. We're just 
getting the theme out right there. Mm-hmm. Right now, this is going to be about them. And I am here for it. I am into it. Um, though, speaking of him coming to her place, because the next shot is them going to the beach. We, yes. It, we. I think we were both equally confused by like, wait, so Michael thought they, they were doing a meeting. Fiona thought they were having a cute like date meal. But then also they just later decide to go to the beach together maybe like the maybe the idea was that they were gonna go to her place eat and then go to the beach but it's like very clearly just a date mm-hmm. and like my favorite thing about this is that it turns out it's not a date sure it turns out fee has something up her sleeve mm-hmm. um and when he when they arrive at the beach but then don't go toward the beach because michael with all his stuff is ready to go to the beach he's like Visibly disappointed that they're not going to the beach. He's like, come on, the beach is this way. I want to go to the beach. I have my tote bag and everything. Which is so funny to me because I can't imagine Michael being recreational ever. Yeah, no, it's just, they don't mention it. Like, they don't, like, remark upon it at all. But, yeah, it does seem very bizarre to see Michael in, like, a, I'm just going to have a chill day kind of mode. Exactly. Like, maybe this is what he's hoping to do instead of taking all of these jobs that he doesn't want to take. <laughs> Like, maybe Michael Weston's, like, preferred existence is to just, like, chill at the beach with his hottie. But, like, yeah, it's just, it was very out of place and bizarre, and he's, like, so genuinely disappointed. It's, like, truly adorable. The thing is, everything else about the show is against that idea. I know. No, it's it's just, it was such a bizarre little, like, moment, and I loved it. Oh, I also want to talk a little bit about the transition from the last scene to this one. Okay. Where it has... Um, all of these, like, speed ramping and fast zooms that we're going to see a lot in this episode. There's a lot of speed ramping and, like, weird fast camera movements and pans and things. So it starts here and it doesn't really let up. Um, which, frankly, I'll take over the choppy, like, crossfades. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, it's definitely a weird choice, but it's less bad than the other weird choices. And I did like how we did a little, uh, cutting with some of these speed ramping shots. And then it ends on like a speed ramping shot of them getting out of the car. It feels like a smoother transition as opposed to just B-roll, 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 Mike and V. Yeah. Um, and I did appreciate that. But yeah, it turns out they are not just here for fun beach times because it turns out V's been doing some bounty hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, she's networked appropriately, as we discussed in mm-hmm. episode two, exactly. uh, now that she's been doing some work for Michael. And so she's decided to try her hand at some freelancing work for bounty hunters. Um, and so there's a man that she's looking for named Thomas McKee, um, who they find immediately because he's running out of a hotel and because he, he is being chased by a rival bounty hunter named Wayne Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, a mountain of a man, as a you mount- describe him. A mountain of a man, Wayne Ray. And so Fee goes and chases Tom- Thomas while um, Michael has been suckered into, like, stopping Wayne Ray duty, mm-hmm. which he doesn't seem too happy about. Yeah, I think he's even like, I'll get, oh, man, okay. Yeah. I did love they have a quick moment where Michael wants to object to them maybe doing this, and Fee is like, I do everything for you. And he has to be like, no, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> you got me there. Uh, so, yeah. And so Fee goes and finds uh, Thomas, who immediately protests his innocence. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even give any, like, reasoning for why he's in it. He's, he's just like, oh, please don't shoot me. I'm innocent. And then we, like, smash cut to Fee being like, so he's innocent. Yeah. She just <laughs> believes it for no real reason at all. Just because he said, I'm innocent, like a guilty person does. But yeah, so that's, while that's happening, Michael is, like, fighting, out with, fighting it out with Wayne Ray, who just, again, a mountain of a man. So large, like, a six and a half feet tall, at least, like... An extremely big man. A, extremely big man... With, like, an amazing, like, huge chin. Not, like, a chiseled chin. Like, this is not a chin that, like, that, that that's going for, like, chiseledness. This is not, like, a sculpted chin. This is a chin for power. This is our new segment. It's yes. called Chin Talk. Chin Talk. We, we rate every character's chin. Exactly. This chin is, like, hitting, like, 15 mega chads. And, but they escape from Wayne Ray. 
Well, technically, Michael doesn't tussle with him. Not in this scene. Basically, <laughs> Michael, because he's in his beach garb, he, like, just runs into him to, like, slow him down. That's, yeah. And he, like, he's like, oh, man, dude, what are you? And then, like, Wayne Ray walks away and Michael, like, immediately code switches back to just, like, normal, boring Michael exactly. Weston. And it's extremely funny. It is very good. Uh, there will be tussling later, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Fee has decided that uh, Thomas is innocent, and they're going to have to stash him somewhere. So, surprisingly enough, they don't go to Madeline's place. Madeline is not in this episode. Yeah, not at all. Nobody mentions her. Like, it's very Madeline's strange. not in the next one, either. Mm-mm. I think with these two episodes, I'm kind of glad she's not there, just because I don't want to have to think about, like... Michael's sex life and his mom at the same time. That's fair. And I think perhaps... <laughs> that was calculated. The writers didn't either, so... I mean, we had to talk about her sex life last week. That is true. We did have to do that. Um, anyway, back at Fee's, uh, Thomas explains that he's a drink promoter, and he met this girl at a hotel called the Hotel Victor, and she just showed him this brooch. This incredibly expensive brooch. I guess she was just showing it off, like, hey, look at this cool brooch. Well, they, they even asked, like, why was she showing it to you? And he's like, because it was so expensive. And he said it, like, so, like, obviously that yeah. I was like, no, that 100% tracks. No, like, it, when I worked in the service industry, if, like, there was just, like, a bigger bill than we were used to, or just, like, we, we, we had to, like, ship something or whatever, that it was just, like, exorbitantly expensive, we just, like, wanted to show it to each other. Like, look. Look at how big and expensive this is. Crazy, right? And then that's it. There's no remarking upon it. It's just like, I want to know that I beheld something this expensive. Exactly. We, the lower classes, aren't in awe with, like, extravagant, like, examples of wealth. Yeah. And so, of course, they they would want to see it. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, But then later, of course, this brooch got stolen. Mm Mm-hmm. And now Thomas is on the hook for that because he looked at it and also apparently his like pass that he used to get into the hotel was stolen. So this is what's funny to me. So like we spend like at least a minute on the fact that he has like physically seen the brooch and was impressed by it. But like the minor detail is that it was his key card used to get into the place to steal the brooch. And it's crazy to me that that wasn't the like main fact. Like who's around like just like peeping on him. Like, I know you saw the brooch. You definitely stole it. Also I, it was your key card. Like it just seemed like an unnecessary detail. No, that, that tracked for me. Cause I, that definitely felt like a thing that Thomas was doing to like make himself seem more innocent. Like he, like he was like leading with, the less damning evidence. But, um, like, I don't even understand why it was evidence. Um, just, like, who was watching them look at a brooch? Like, that's a crazy, like, Well, I don't specific... think it was like that. I think what happened was that, um, in fact, actually, probably given what we know about how this goes down, um, the girl might have been instructed to show him the brooch. Ah, interesting. That's an um, interesting headcanon. Because I think the first time I was watching this... Well, the only time that I was watching this. <laughs> but when I was first watching it, my assumption is that... Um, she was part of the setup? Well, not necessarily that she was part of the setup, but that she was interviewed by the police, and then she mentioned that he liked it so much. and then that, which it. Which would have led to them checking the key card, and so, like... Okay, that was, fair enough. I'll give you that. That was my initial interpretation. But now I'm thinking she was part of the setup. Ooh, conspiracy. Uh, yes. Um... But yeah, it was stolen, and his key card was used. Thomas seems supremely dumb. And this is a th- common thread in the next two episodes. Yeah, what, what, they're, just, they're like case of the weak victims being like real dim-dums. Which is interesting, because, and again, we'll talk about next week's next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like this guy is likably dumb. Sure. Whereas next week's guy is not likely dumb. No. But yes, again, we will definitely get to that next week because I have thoughts. Oh. Um, another thing we learn in this scene, Fee collects snow globes. Another another nice little detail that she's got like a whole rack full of snow globes that she buys from every place that she's gone. Um, and again, it just adds to the homey answer. I like... Anything that fleshes out Fee as a person. Mm-hmm. I that do makes too. me happy. Yeah, this was a good episode in sort of grounding Fiona in something other than Michael's love interest. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, although this is still 
all 100% about Michael. Sure, but it's also his show. I don't know. I just like the little details like that yeah. and like seeing her house and seeing her cook and seeing her like be for a dick Michael. to a bounty hunter for no reason. Yeah. That one wasn't for Michael. That one was, was all for Fee. Yeah. I don't know. And I still don't know why. Like, We'll get to that. Let's, 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 I mean, let's like, hold off. I still do not understand why she so immediately believes that he is innocent. Yeah, no, that's crazy. There's there's no explanation. There's, I guess we're assuming that like he says this and then when we cut to like the title card, there's a there's a longer conversation at which point she like agrees and brings him back. I guess I don't like, know. Like there it doesn't make any other sense but otherwise. Like, like it, I think it's just that they didn't want to have him explain to it to Fiona and then also to Michael. And so like they skipped but over her part. My point is that even now after hearing all of this it still sounds like he did it. Like, this, like, it's not a terribly compelling story. Sure. It sounds like bullshit. Like, Michael reacts to when he says, like, and then my card got stolen. Like, he's not even good. Like, his card did get stolen. But, like, he's not even good at selling that. Yeah. He sounds like he's lying. And there's absolutely no reason that Fee should believe this guy. What? Except for the fact that he's kind of a cute guy and, like, taking his case means being around a cute guy to potentially make Michael jealous. It's possibly that. And I don't know if, like, that is supposed to be, like... Because eventually, yes, a lot of this plot will be about be, will be about making Michael jealous. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel like at the beginning that she saw him... Is the idea that she saw him thought... He's kind of cute, and then hatched a plan. I I think it's more that he he gave her a little explanation, like no, this is what happened, and then she like looks him up and down and is like, even if he's full of shit, this could be fun. Like that's I what I imagine. She definitely has a sustained sense of glee throughout the whole thing. Like that's what sells it for me is Gabrielle Anwar just being so like happy about all of this. Mm-hmm. She's like, just having a really good time. She is having such a good time. And it sells a lot. Yeah. Uh, This is a great episode for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. So, Fee wants to stash Thomas someplace else. um, And then Michael's like, well, why can't he just stay here at your place? And then she gets all kind of sad that he's not jealous. Yeah. She's almost, she's mad that he suggests it. Because he's supposed to be like, well, he has to go somewhere else. I can't have you in a room with a man. Exactly. And, but he's just sort of fine with it. He's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess, I guess he can stay here. So, like, maybe that's it. Maybe, like, it was just a test. And then, like, when he failed the first test, she was like, oh, I gotta do a lot more tests now. Game on, motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Michael has Sam uh, meet with Barry to find out who has this brooch, where it's gone to. And it turns out there's only one guy in the city who might fence something that big. A guy named Cristo. One guy... Yeah, he also he, he also does foil. I was just gonna make that joke. <laughs> uh, uh, also notable, this is the first time in like four or five episodes that we've seen Bur- Barry. Right? We haven't seen yeah, Barry in a couple. episodes. We have not seen Barry in a while. And frankly, he seems kind of randomly used. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's almost like the Madeline insert because he's like the sort of side character who's a regular but who doesn't frequently have a lot of like major impact on plot. And so we we don't have Madeline for two episodes, but we do have Barry. I'm wondering. If they never planned on Barry being a regular, and they just really like the actor, maybe that because makes sense. he that, is fun. Yeah, and they just because that track. Although they don't really give him much of anything. To no, do. and that's that's what the bizarre thing to me is about. Like both of these episodes, is it feels like wait, we need them to do something. Like we we just need like one more person to be involved in the plot. I guess we'll throw Barry in there because like in both episodes, there's no reason that Barry should be the one that knows this over anyone else. Because in every other episode, well, I mean, without Barry, they figure it out. I mean, like. Yeah, they don't need Barry. Like, they could very easily just have Sam, like, I did some research. Exactly. Uh, and it's very easy to do. There's no reason it has to be Barry other than just having him in the scene. And then doing this very good gag. Yeah. There's a very good gag in this scene um, wherein Barry explains that the guy who might know who has the brooch, Christo, only has one name. Yeah. And then, which leads them to just listing off other famous people with one name, like Madonna or Cher or... <laughs> Yeah, they just, like, go back and forth, Barry and Sam, like, naming one-name celebrities until Sam can't do it anymore, and Barry goes, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a really great... He does... uh, Bruce Campbell delivers it so well. He's like, oh, oh, crap, I can't think of it anymore. One of the ones that he pitches... Is Spider Man, I and which is very funny, just on its own. Yeah, no, this is just this is yeah. a great little scene. Even though exactly. Barry does not need to be there, like the little Barry Sam banter is yeah. extremely funny. And so Michael 
like breaks into Christo's house. Christo being Jorge from Jane the Virgin, which aired at season finale yesterday. All right. If you want to place the recording of this episode in time, (laughs) you now have it. Yep. But yeah, he breaks into Christo's place and then hides out. And when Christo gets home, he just immediately like ties him up. It's very not difficult. Yeah. This is the easiest thing that Michael Wesson has ever done on this show. (laughs) Um, um, He just, um, he ties him up takes his phone and just starts calling his clients and, like, pretending to be people who he has given, like, their number to leverage. The worst thing you can be as a fence is indiscreet. Yes, exactly. Um, and so he does this, like, once or twice until Christo just gives mm-hmm. um, and explains that someone had called him about um, selling this brooch, this spider-like brooch, but he was in a hurry... And he did not want to wait the six months that was needed to wait in order to sell it safely. Yeah, because basically it's like, it's such a high profile item and it's so well known that it was stolen that like to sell it immediately would just bring way too much heat to both the buyer and the seller. So for an item like this, you really got to wait for shit to die down a little bit. But the guy who stole it did not want to wait for shit to die down. So Cristo was like, well, no thanks. This sounds like a really bad deal. Exactly. Um... So Christo gives Michael a number. He doesn't have a name, but he does have a number. Anyway, uh, back to uh, Michael's apartment. Um, Michael reads his dossier and some more of that patented Michael Weston mood lighting. Mm -hmm. That single, like, lamp on his desk, looking down at his desk in the dark, Mm -hmm. up on the the second floor of his little loft area, Mm -hmm. like the king of his little castle. Sure. Um, and then Sam arrives and explains that, uh, despite his digging, all he can find on the man who put the dossier together is that he works for NSA counterintelligence. Michael asks him to run the number that Christo gave him. And Sam also mentions that Michael needs to talk to Fee more because Fee has been complaining to Sam. Which, like, and this this ha- this has been happening for a couple of episodes now where apparently, now that Sam's no longer, like, snitching to the FBI, Fee and Sam are, like, BFFs. Like, they're constantly having talks about each other's relationships. Fee calls him to confide in him. And Sam knows enough about what Fee's, like, inner thoughts are to, like, relay them to Michael. Honestly, I would love a spinoff show of just, like, Fee and Sam just chilling. Yeah. Or just, yeah, just being a, show, pals. a show that's just Fee calls people. Sometimes it's Sam. Sometimes it's Madeline. Madeline. Maybe sometimes it's Barry. Uh, but Fee just calls people and that's it. That's the show. Um, uh, speaking of mood lighting, though, there is this really nice lighting in this shot where, like, um, they put some blue, like, purple or, like, maybe blue-red light uh, coming through Michael's window. It's supposed to be like light from the club outside. Is that new to this episode? Because I noticed it a lot in the next one once I saw that you had noted it in this one. But I, I don't, I feel like I hadn't seen it before because I felt like I would have like commented on it before. Yeah, it's very, it's a very nice effect. It really, it places you in the world in a way because like the club doesn't really get mentioned that no. much. So like getting to see it outside the window is just like it adds some nice color to an otherwise pretty gray yeah, it's, apartment. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's, motivated and but it just looks really nice Mm -hmm. and adds again a splash of color in this like darkness Mm -hmm. in the darkness of the set um good job on the director there enjoyed that the other great thing about this scene is at the very end because sam was trying to get info from his fbi buddies and and not only could he not get info but he they left him the check Mm -hmm. and he's very annoyed that they left him the check Mm -hmm. um and so he wrote down the the phone, he wrote down some info on this check, on the receipt. And um, he has the info for Michael. He will only run the number that Michael gives him if Michael pays for his lunch, for his working lunch. And so the scene just ends with the two of them waggling a little piece of paper at the other person from like like 10 <laughs> feet away from each other yeah. on different heights. Because like Michael's like up in the loft and Sam's like down on the ground level. So they're just both sitting in seats waving this little little pieces of paper at each other and it's very funny. It's an extreme, like this is something that is very hard to explain in an audio medium. But like this is worth just watching this one little part of the episode. It's extremely funny. It's well-timed. It's very charming. Like this, this episode was funny. It is a funny episode. It's a funny episode. Like I laughed out loud multiple times. I also laughed at this episode. (laughs) 
<laughs> but no, yeah, I I am a big fan of this episode. Um, this is like we'll talk more about this later, but probably my favorite so far. All right, so Michael shows up at the pool at Fee's place. Either she is doing barbecue. Or Thomas is I doing think barbecue. Thomas is barbecuing. I think she's, like, really trying to play up the, like, submissive to the new man in her life kind yeah. of ploy to, like, really piss Michael off, who does not notice. Exactly. <laughs> I think, I mean, he notices. I guess, yeah, I guess he does. By, by this scene, she's laying it on pretty thick. Exactly. Like, he at this point knows that something is going on. He is just choosing not to engage. <laughs> uh, but he shows up at Fee's place um, and asks for help um, from some of Fee's, like, black ops, like, connections her like gun smuggling connections mm-hmm. because he is going to need some help like getting attention of like this guy that burned him basically sam's legit channels have dried up in terms of who burned michael so he has to turn to fees less legit ones exactly and so she agrees to do she says that there are some guys coming in town some libyans and um they might be able to help michael um, Fee also says that she's having a lot of fun hanging out with Thomas. He can cook. They're just getting along so well and that they're oh. just loving it. And he is definitely reacting. So the, the scene ends with him doing this kind of just like exasperated like sigh. You know that thing where you sigh, but also your mouth is kind of closed. So you look a little bit like a blowfish. Sure. That's what, you know, you know that. I You know the face. Yeah, exactly. That's what Jeffrey Donovan is doing at the end of the scene. And it like... And they freeze frame on it and then fade out. And it's very good. Yeah, it's a very funny scene ending. Anyway, uh, cut to Sam and Michael uh, standing outside the Hotel Victor while Michael explains that the guy who stole the brooch was actually... Dun-dun-dun. 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 The hotel owner? Yes! And it, it is definitely the owner of the Hotel Victor, a guy named Lawrence Henderson, which sounds just like Florence Henderson and no one mentions it. Who's Florence Henderson? Florence Henderson was the mom on the Brady Bunch. She's very famous. Anyway. I don't know what to do with that. Um, But yeah, he is losing money on this hotel. Uh, Apparently, he used to have a club, and I think Louisiana. He definitely has a Southern accent uh, when we meet him. He used to have a club there, and then when that wasn't going so well, he burned it down for the insurance money. Uh, And now he's losing money on this hotel. But he's... Losing more money on this hotel than he can make selling the brooch, which is something that uh, Sam mentions and never amounts to anything. Like, I kept waiting for... Yeah, we just get a lot of details about this guy being, like, a shitty business person and a frequent uh, fraud insurance person. But, yeah, none of it ever matters. Like, basically, it's just, like, a lot of unnecessary fluff to indicate, yes, this guy is bad and is selling the brooch. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't... I was waiting for like a reveal that something was going to happen in with the brooch that was going to make the guy even more money yeah because like making a point of saying this math doesn't add up to not have it mean anything feels weird yeah no it's very bizarre um but yeah but the important thing about this scene is that lawrence larry is setting up our our fee's new boyfriend exactly um and also he's very paranoid yes uh, that is the other thing that we know about this scene. Back at Fee's place, uh, Michael explains all this to Thomas. He explains that Lawrence stole the brooch and framed him, and there's nothing the police can do about it at all. Police can never do anything. Yeah, show. I mean, they, they, I mean, in shows like this, they always, at some point during the episode, have to make the point, well, why can't we go to the police? Yeah. Like, literally every procedural that isn't a police-based procedural has to somehow explicitly answer the question, well, why can't you call the police? Because otherwise it's like... It's just hanging there. It's just hanging there, exactly. So I would love them to do that on a police procedural. <laughs> uh, nothing the police can do about it, but Michael and Fee are going to figure something out. At which point, Wayne Ray shows up again in a very well done shot because uh, Michael is like walking through Fee's apartment and like walks into a hallway, and the camera like dollies to follow him into the hallway, and at the end of the hallway is like a clear like screen door and Wayne Ray is just standing like glowering towering in this door just like fucking like Halloween like fucking is Jason Halloween or is Jason Michael Myers like Michael Myers just fucking hulking and he's a large man is what I'm saying Mm -hmm. in the door and then like as it does as the camera pans and we see him just like a crazy guitar sting, and then, like, music kicks in, and it's like, oh, we're in action now. <laughs> and, like, 
uh, Michael as Feed get Tom Thomas out, and then uh, Wayne Ray comes in, and then like uh, they get into a sort of fight, even though Wayne Ray is much physically bigger. And Michael explains in the spy tip how if you're gonna fight someone who is like much bigger than you and very good at fighting, that helps to know like the home turf to fight on your own home turf. At which point Wayne Ray trips on the step. That Michael tripped in during the cold open. Exactly. So that's the first payoff to the, the cold open that mm-hmm. happens in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you remember, we told you to remember. Mm-hmm. We sure so did. So if you remember us telling you, then you did remember. Good remembering. And if you didn't remember, fuck you. I have, I have no patience for that. <laughs> I have no patience for not remembering. Um, although that doesn't matter because Wayne Ray still gets the upper hand because on he Michael is, anyway. And we cannot stress this enough, so much bigger than Jeffrey Donovan. He is very large. I say he's a mountain. He could have played the mountain on Game of Thrones. He is big enough where that would have worked. Sure. He gets fucking Michael in like a fucking chokehold and he's like choking Michael out. At which point, um, Fee returns and knocks him out using one of her snow globes. Italy, which is one of her favorites. Which is, why did she grab, I mean, I guess she was in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, like, but still, like, I know you're in a hurry, but, like, baby, don't grab your favorite. I took a moment here, I want to take a moment to read the mini bio from uh, Jeff Chase, the actor of Wayne Ray's IMDb page, and I want to read it because he wrote it himself. <laughs> I was wondering why you quoted this. All I right. mean... Take, take it away, Jeff Chase. Jeff Chase. This is from Jeff Chase's bio that he wrote himself. Um, first off, born Jeffrey Lance Sniffen, graduated of, graduate of Passaic Valley Regional Valley Regional High School, Little Falls, New Jersey, graduate of West Virginia University, don't care about any of this, played football for the Mountaineers, 1986 to 1981, married to Kimberly, 1991 to 2015, divorced, in parentheses, uh, one son, Corey Chase, best known for The Mechanic, 2011, Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek 2009-2013. Favorite quote, parentheses unknown, if you were talking, you were not listening. Best advice ever received, uh, dot, 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 make your bed in the morning. That all feels like something I needed to know. If I went to IMDb and didn't find something related to that on everyone's page, I would be disappointed. I want everyone to know what everyone's favorite quote that they don't know who said it is. Yeah. Unattributable quote that is my favorite. And then the best advice that you've ever received, which is different from favorite quote. Sure. And it's to make your bed in the morning. Make your bed in the morning. Jeff Chase, you beautiful bastard. <laughs> you mountain of a man, you. Anyway, Fee and Michael bring Thomas back to uh, Michael's apartment because they can't stay at Fee's now. Fee's apartment has been burned, as it were. <laughs> exactly. Fee's apartment has been Wayne Raid. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael is reluctant to have him stay because Michael is reluctant to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that anyone is able to get Michael to do anything because he wants to do nothing mm-hmm. except go to the beach. And look at his dossier. (laughs) Uh, But he does agree. And uh, Michael explains his plan to Thomas. Michael is going to pose as a buyer and have uh, Lawrence get caught with the brooch. All throughout the scene, uh, Fee keeps lovingly massaging Thomas's shoulder. And then Michael, like, calls her. He's like, hey, Fee, can we uh, talk about the plan over here? Fee? Fee? The plan over here? He does the exact same bit that I do at the beginning of season two of Sam and Pat. <laughs> and he just asks her, like, what are you doing? What is this? What is, what is this thing that you're doing? And she explains that, well, um, you and I aren't in a relationship, so I can massage whoever I want. She then, and this is the ultimate betrayal. She then offers Thomas one of Michael's yogurts. This will not stand. Unacceptable. This will Burn notices yogurt. Anyway, Michael tells Sam... He's not going to be regular tomorrow. He's not going to be regular. Is that the kind of yogurt that it is? is? I mean, all yogurt is like fi- more fibrous, so like it helps with bowel movements regardless of if it's... If it's special... Uh, if it's Jamie Lee Curtis's yeah. or not. <laughs> Michael tells Sam that Christo is going to set up a meeting with Lawrence, and Sam is going to have to be the middleman and be extra paranoid so Lawrence feels safe because he's so paranoid. And Sam is very annoyed that he's going to have to wear a suit and shave, which I love. I love any time that anyone acknowledges that Miami is very hot Mm because it's very hot. And I don't know if it's just me right now living in New York in this summer in climate change 
as a person who sweats all the time anyway, I will sweat if it's 50 degrees. And so just the idea of putting on a suit in Miami sounds disgusting to me. Just hearing that Mm -hmm. makes me physically sick. And so I am 100% on board anytime somebody like acknowledges that. Yes. And I am with Sam. No, you shouldn't have to wear a suit. Mm -hmm. No one should have to wear a suit in Miami. Those Miami Vice fuckers, what were they thinking? Sam puts on said suit uh, and shaves his face um, and meets with Lawrence under the name Charles Finley. Yay, Chuck Finley. This is for fans of Burn Notice. This is a very common alias of Sam's. It becomes kind of a thing, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and I do not. Um, yeah, no, Chuck Finley is like Sam's only real named alias. Exactly. When he needs to be like fancy and important, he's Charles Finley. Yeah. But when he just needs to be miscellaneous other alias guy, he's Chuck Finley. And yeah. I like that he's made a distinction in his mind for this dude. Yeah, I do adore that. Anyway, he meets with Lawrence. This is the first time we've really talked to him, and he does have a very thick Southern accent. He is almost a Tennessee Tennessee Williams character. And Lawrence explains that they can't, like, he cannot do this deal just with Charles Finley. He has got to meet Michael in person. Yeah. And um, Sam has to act very upset about that, even though this is, of course, all going according to plan. Anyway, Michael makes contact with a Libyan operative named Anwar, um, in order to fi- get assistance and finding out who, like, ordered his burn notice. Th- th- these are fees, like, back-channel connections. Exactly. And is that why he's named Anwar? Because of Gabrielle Anwar? Yeah. I mean, that would track because it's such a specific name. It is. And, like, it's such a specific coincidence to be the last name of your only, like, prominent female character. Yeah. And especially since it is Fee's contact. I can, I can see that being a thing. Oh, he, this guy is also played by an actor named uh, Marshall Manesh, who's been in a lot of things, but I mostly recognize as being Ranjit on How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, the taxi driver from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, they would just say, hello. Mm-hmm. Um, which, remember when we all cared about How I Met Your Mother? Remember when we didn't realize that How I Met Your Mother was a super extremely problematic show? It was. On almost every level? It really was. And the, such a shame, because I fucking love that show. I love that show. I was, like, researching this episode and, like recognizing the guy who played Ranjit and thinking, I kind of want to watch How I Met Your Mother again. I want to I want to go back to that simpler time when I super enjoyed How I Met Your Mother because I did really enjoy How I Met Your Mother. We all did. I watched like seven seasons of it in a single week. Anyway, so Michael walks in um, on Thomas and Fee having a candlelit dinner. Wait, does anything happen with Anwar? He, no, he, he just like meets him in a... He's just like, hey, Anwar, it's me, Michael Weston. Let's talk soon. And Anwar's like... I yeah, like, that's like it. It's all, <laughs> the whole scene takes place in like a parking garage, mm-hmm. and like like Anwar pulls a gun on him, and he's like, "No, it's fine. I'm fine. It's like I'm burned now. I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Like help me out." And that's it. That's the whole scene. Sure. Okay. Uh, so then we go back to yeah. Michael's place. Uh, Michael walks in on Thomas and Fee having a candlelit dinner, which is such a specific like detail that no one mentions. It's just like a part of the production design, and yeah. it's fucking brutal. Like it really it's is. like this wide shot where Michael's in the foreground, and we are focused on Fee and what's his butt in the background, and yeah. they have like made up a little table because like Michael's house is not furnished. No. It sucks. His loft sucks. Michael is a terrible like interior designer. So Fee has like. Set up a little, like, I kind of would like to live in that. Well, I know you would. I do enjoy the minimalism of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, you're more like Michael Weston than you think. But, uh, yeah, it's just, like, Fee has, like... That is the beginning and end of how I'm like Michael Weston. Fee has, like, found candles set, like, they've got a little vase with flowers. Like, she's made it so nice and romantic. Do you think she went to a store and got the candles? I guarantee she did, because I guarantee that Michael Weston does not have fucking candles. Oh my god. It's such a good detail. And no one remarks on it. It's just there. And you it's just it's so brutal. I do think in the reverse shot they are in the super foreground too. I think. Yeah. It's fucking brutal. It's a it's truly incredible. This is the pettiest thing that has ever happened in the world. And I yeah. love it. And speaking of petty, they did make food for Michael, but then they ate it. And Cabriel Anwar just like breaks in with, We ate it. And just her delivery of that line is so good. Again, just the glee. Like, um, she is just, again, projecting this, like, sense of glee and wonderment and happiness throughout this whole episode constantly. And it's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, everything that Gabrielle Anwar does in this episode is fucking perfect. Oh, my God. It's so good. 
Um, and I don't even remember what they talk about in that scene. That just happens. Um, but yeah, so then uh, Michael and Sam, like, in their aliases, arrive at Lawrence's place, which is very well protected. There's a lot of security. Uh, there's, like, all sorts of stuff, because he is very paranoid. And then, and then Lawrence has Sam wait outside, and then, like... Mm-hmm. And then Sam acts real pissy about it. He's like, oh, no, I want to go in. He has to, like, act real sad. Yeah, like, it's... I mean, it's fun. And, like, and Michael has to, like, say, no, you can stay. He gets to be real bossy to Sam. It's very good. Mm-hmm. And then in Dignity of Indignities, a woman says, would you like something to drink? And he has to just say water. Inside, Lawrence agrees to Michael's price. They haggle over the, the price of the brooch. But o- will only, like, actually let him look at the brooch itself once he has the money, the, like, $1.2 million or whatever. Instead, he just shows him a picture of the brooch, which... Throughout this episode, they have been describing the brooch as kind of spidery or spider-like. It's kind of spider, which like led me to think, oh, it's probably got some spindly bits on it. And then we see a picture; it's just a spider. Mm-hmm. It's just like a diamond encrusted spider. Yeah, it's just an actual spider. And Michael agrees that yeah, he can bring the money. Like, um, we'll do a same time thing. We'll do a same time thing, but it's got to happen at a neutral place. And Lawrence is like, no deal. You got to come here. There's no way around it. You gotta come to our place. And Michael's like, well, I gotta meet at a neutral place so we can get verified. This is non negotiable. I guess we are at an impasse. Exactly. And then Michael, I never really talked about Michael's character in this scene, like his jewel selling character. Um, I have no idea what accent he's doing. It's sort of, I guess, like mid Atlantic rich person accent. I, mean, he's just, I feel like he's swallowing all of his consonants. Yeah, it's very nondescript. It's a very nondescript sort of like... Rich person voice. Rich person, yeah. Which I don't know. He doesn't get a name ever. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he gets a name. So, I... But he is doing a voice. So, when the time comes, we'll have, there might be a debate about whether or not this is an alias. There should not be a debate. It's not distinct at all. And we already talked about how we need to be... That's fair. Have higher standards. Because this isn't just... New York accent, who knows Paco no, being this... the first alias ever, and so fine, exactly. distinct alias. That's fair. I'm with you on that. This is a nothing. This is a nothing. Anyway, so back at Michael's place, they decide to change gears, make Lawrence think that someone is going to steal the brooch. He kind of seeds the idea in the previous conversation that someone might steal the brooch. Um, so now they have to convince Lawrence that a small army of people are going to come steal the brooch because the place is so well guarded and secure that nothing less than a whole crew of people could steal it. So they have to convince him that a whole crew of people indeed are going to steal it. Yeah, basically to like convince him and make him think it's his idea to move the brooch somewhere to a neutral location so it's easier for Michael and the crew to set him up. Yes. Meanwhile... Michael goes to meet with Anwar, but is taken by the Libyans to a secondary location. There, he asks Anwar to mention the name of the man who burned him at some point whenever he knows that the U.S. is listening. Anytime the U.S. is paying attention, somehow somehow let it slip that he knows Philip Cowan, the guy who burned like Michael Weston. He doesn't care how. Michael says, you can just send him a fruit basket. Somehow connect yourselves to... Philip Cowan. Because, yeah, Philip Cowan will freak out and I have to explain all that. And he'll figure out it was because of Michael Weston. And that will piss him off and that will be good. Well, I mean, this is like the not the first time it's happened where Michael is trying to get someone's attention. And when normal channels don't work, he just pisses them off. Like in the very first episode of the, the thing, he's trying to get in touch with his handler and the handler won't talk to him. So he sends him a fake bomb. This is true. Like, Michael is like, no one pays attention to me. I must troll for attention. This is 100% what he does. He has information that the Libyans want. And he's like, I will give this information to you if you help me out with this Philip Cowan situation. Exactly. Um, And Anwar asks, like, what if I just, like, tortured you for the information and killed you? And which Michael points out that uh, information gained from torture is unreliable. It, It is nice to hear, like, our spies say that. And to say that with the air of authority that Burn Notice has. Sure. And his other uh, argument for them not torturing and killing him is that if they do torture and kill him, Fee will come for them. <laughs> he, like, invokes the wrath of Fee, and that is very effective. Yes. Um, I also do in- enjoy that Michael explains that he's willing to give them this information because the people who blew up this installation or whatever that the Libyans want to kill are bad, bad people that the U.S. also wouldn't mind seeing dead. So at no point do we ever fear that Michael Weston is anything less than a patriot. 
Yes. And anything less than a good, good person. Mm -hmm. He can't do anything. Well, because otherwise then he would have earned his burn notice. And the whole concept of this show is that he wants to get back in good with the government. So if he's like being shady in a particularly unpatriotic way, that could hurt his chances to get his burn notice revoked. They don't well, want... yeah, Michael Weston is also like not an anti-hero. No, and not at all. They want to make that very clear. Like Michael Weston is a straight up American hero. Yes. <laughs> End of sentence. 100%. Anyway, we get to a montage of Michael, Sam, and Fee just working to undermine Lawrence's security by making it look like this huge team is um, working on, like, surveillance. Yeah, they're basically, like, faking more surveillance than there is. Exactly. They're, like, knocking out uh, security things, like security cameras and, like, bribing security guards and leaving, like, all these cigarette butts. And then after that, uh, Sam and Michael discuss the situation with Fee and then get a call from Lawrence, and he's ready to make... To meet at the hotel and make a deal. Like, he's willing to meet them and all this stuff. And this is a great little scene because they're just outside, like, by the beach, eating slushies. And uh, after Lawrence calls, uh, Sam says, I'm going to put him on hold. Like, I'll hang up and I'll call him back later. But he specifically says, I'll, I'll call him back when I'm done with my slushie. And he just really puts a little bit of, like, a little bit of English on that slushie. He just really... <laughs> I just, what I like about this episode in particular is that we get a lot of insight into, like, what they do when they're all just hanging out. Michael goes to the beach with Fee, Sam and Michael go get slushies together, because they weren't expecting this call necessarily. No. They were just like, hey, Sam, you feeling a slushy? And then yeah. they went up for a little walk, and they, they got were, slushies together. Exactly. There's so much great little downtime. Oh, um, this is an episode of Burn Notice that my friend Tony would love if she watched Burn Notice. She does not watch Burn Notice. Mm -hmm. and, but... and it has no intention of watching Burn exactly. Notice. Exactly. Anyway, at the hotel, uh, Lawrence intercepts Michael at the bar and explains that he's been having security problems and thought that it might be Christo. And then he leads Michael to a room where they have Christo tied to a chair and he's been badly beaten. Yeah, so basically uh, what happens is that, so we know that Lawrence is like freaking out and wants to make the deal again. Uh, and so we go expecting him to like agree to a secondary location but it turns out that instead of just being like vaguely unsettled that people are trying to steal the brooch he has chosen a target for who is trying to steal the brooch and what he has chosen is Christo. Yeah the honestly the thing about this that kind of surprises me and feels kind of stupid on Michael's part is that I don't get why he thinks that Lawrence won't put together that he's the one who's trying to steal the brooch. Like, one person has come up to him and has shown interest in the brooch, and then immediately after that, people are fucking with his, like, surveillance. He doesn't think that he's going to put those two things together. Yeah, no, they, they haven't established, like, multiple buyers. They haven't established a fall guy. Of course he's going to turn to Cristo, the only person whose name he knows in this situation. I mean... They do mention European buyers, and I think maybe that's the thing, but it's so vague. Like, obviously he's going to put it together. Sure. So... Big whoop, big shock, big surprise. He puts it together. Yeah. Cut to like this like full on dramatic chipmunk close up on Michael's eyes. Mm -hmm. Just like fast zoom. Yeah, very like uh, anime pre-battle shot. Yes. Um, and that takes us to commercial. Mm -hmm. We like end on that. We come back and uh, Michael immediately Sherlock scans the room. Or psych scans, if you prefer, considering we are in the USA. Characters welcome. Ouvre. Mm -hmm. Ouvre. Um, and makes his escape by uh, grabbing Lawrence and then holding a pin to his neck and using him as a human shield. What's an interesting thing about this scene, and this episode in particular, is that, like, all of the spy tips in this episode are very lopsided. And, like, generally in an episode, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the spy, tip, when we get to the spy tips, but, like, they're very gradual and put throughout. Whereas I feel like they're very concentrated in this episode. Mm -hmm. And, like... In this scene, like, I feel like he's saying a lot of the things that he would normally say in spy voiceover, but to the people. Like, he is in-universe saying, explaining all of his spy tips about, like, if you, like, put this... If you put this pressure on this artery with this pen, he will bleed out in 11 seconds mm -hmm. and like human shields and stuff. But he's just saying it to the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. He also said, if someone is using you as a human shield, go limp. It's much harder to drag you. Exactly. He says that to the guy, which I did not know. I, I don't know how to count a lot of the spy tips on this episode, mm -hmm. but we will get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, but Michael escapes. Everything's he escapes. fine. He escapes. Everything's fine. It's great. Um, so Sam meets with Barry again, um, and gets info about Lawrence's bank of choice, because now, like, Lawrence is definitely gonna move, 
the brooch to a bank. Mm-hmm. And then Michael meets with Anwar again, who agrees to the terms and takes the info and says that, like, his people are working on, like, doing something with Philip Callan. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing interesting happens in that scene. Yeah. It's just <laughs> but, like, hey, remember this other plot's happening. Exactly. Um, so then uh, Michael, Sam, and Fee uh, wait until Lawrence is taking the brooch to the bank and then make it look like he is robbing the bank. Basically, like, um, they know that he has guns and is in this big SUV. And so Sam calls, like, the police and, like, there's some guys with guns and an SUV. And then he, like, shoots out security cameras. And then, like, uh, Fee stops traffic to, like, make it look like they're stopping traffic for, like, a getaway. And the the, the way she stops traffic, traffic is with a stolen car. With a stolen car. And she just gets out and walks away. Yeah, um, and no one, and because camera phones aren't a thing yet, nobody no. takes a picture of the, like, very, like, obvious woman who's not a part of the crew that eventually gets arrested. Exactly. Who's the one that stops traffic. Um, yeah, none of that at all. And then uh, Michael, like, knocks out all the security um, radios, like mm-hmm. the walkie-talkies or whatever. But of course, all of this works. Lawrence and his goons arrive, and they have guns, and they he has the brooch in his pants. Um, He's a very paranoid man. We've established it at least twice. Exactly. Um, and the police find him, and they see this, like, stolen brooch. And he's like, that's mine. <laughs> Which, my thing about this is, that's this isn't what they were called. Like, why would he be robbing the bank with this stolen brooch on him? Like, I don't... I think the point is not that the bank robbery holds up in court. The point is, is that it's a compelling reason for police to get there and pat them all down. No, I mean, that's definitely true. But I feel like this is a thing that happens a lot on this show and maybe shows like this in general, wherein if you call the police on someone for something like and they find like evidence of a different crime, they stop caring about the first crime. Fees still stop traffic. People still shot out the lights. Like, there's no compelling evidence that they were actually going to rob the bank, but they don't care about that anymore because they're like, oh, here's this different crime. Basically, as long as a crime gets solved, they don't care which crime it is. That's not important. And then at the end of all that, uh, Fee says that it's noble that Michael did all this to free an an innocent man. But Michael says, you know who I did it for, Fee. And then walks away. Yeah. Such a good exit line. Exactly. And then V does a big, big smile. Which feels like the end of the episode, but it's not. This episode ends like three times. It's like mm-hmm. it's like Return of the King. <laughs> it ends three times. So our second ending is a scene in which uh, Fee and Thomas are mean to Wayne Ray for no good reason. Yeah, basically, they, they meet up with Wayne Ray, and Fee's like, I feel bad. If you want the bounty... Here well, she doesn't even say, I feel bad. She just says, I can't turn him in anymore. Because, like, I, like, yeah, like, I've been, like, compromised, so I can't turn him in, so here, take this bounty. But, so Wayne's like, great, I'll take him, and I'm keeping all the money, fuck you, bitch. He walks away, he, like, yeah, calls and, the guy that has the bounty And, out. like, and also, this is very important, like, um, Thomas is there, like, with his arms tied up. Yeah, it, it appears that his, his arms are bound by a zip tie. A zip tie. And so he goes quietly into that good night with uh Wayne with Wayne, Wayne Ray, uh, and Wayne Ray calls it in, like, hey, I'm coming in with my bounty, and the guys are like, why the dude's innocent, which Wayne Ray apparently hasn't checked up on. Exactly. And he gets very upset. And then uh, what's his name? Thomas reveals that his hands aren't actually tied up at all. And they're all basically, and he basically might as well like just turn around and like shake his butt in his face. Yeah. And they're like, ha ha ha, ha ha ha. Like I, and they, there's no reason for this. No, no. Not at all. They just just did it to piss off Wayne Ray. Oh, and also I think they needed an ending to Wayne Ray's plot. Because otherwise yes. he just, like, disappears. Exactly. I mean, yeah, but it's like, there's still no reason for it. Yeah, no, there's no reason for like, it. They get nothing out of it other than pissing off Wayne Ray. Uh, so something I want to mention here, because this is the last time we see Wayne Ray in the second ending of this episode. Uh, so Jedi Sky Singer, who is known on Twitter as Not That Ruth Weston, uh, requests that we talk about him. And specifically, she said she always wondered about the backstory to his adversarial relationship with Fiona. Quote, I might have snagged a few of his collars. It sounds like a great opening line to a great story. Oh, yeah. Which we didn't really talk about. But that is interesting that, like, this isn't the first time that Fiona and Wayne Ray have crossed paths. Exactly. No, yeah. Like, at the beginning of the episode. I like to imagine that each time she bests him, but then also fucks with him. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Because Wayne Ray is the bad guy in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. He is, like, the nemesis that, like, yeah, that is, like, fucking with... I called... I called Michael Weston Bugs Bunny before, but also Fiona is also Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Everyone uh, is Bugs Bunny in this show. Exactly. And, like, Wayne Ray is the big kind of dumb guy 
that is messing with Bugs Bunny, and then Bugs Bunny takes his vengeance. Like, that's who he is. Yeah. So the next ending, Thomas is packing up his shit at Michael's place, while Michael is just there, watching him pack. Uh, (laughs) Including, at the very beginning of this scene, um, uh, Thomas says that he was going to, like, um, clean some of Michael's sheets, um, but he doesn't know how Michael does his laundry, which is a very good question. Mm-hmm. How does well, he Michael... literally is like, I was gonna do the, I was gonna wash the sheets, but you don't have a, a washer dryer. And then he like pauses and he looks at Michael and he goes, "How do you do your laundry?" And Michael's just like, "I'll take care of it." Yeah, which is very cagey and suspicious. Yeah. So I, I like to imagine that he doesn't wash anything; he just throws things away and buys new clothes with all the money that he has. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, in the middle of this scene, uh, Philip Cowan. Uh, calls Michael up after because it turns out he did in fact get a fruit basket in the mail. <laughs> this episode is really good about setups and payoffs. Yeah. Um, just a lot of little setups with all sorts of things. Um, and so Philip Cowan calls, says that he got a, fu- a fruit basket. Philip Cowan is immediately recognizable just from voice alone as Richard Schiff, Toby Ziegler himself. I am always happy to have Richard Schiff in anyway. And he's pissed because he got in a fruit basket. And then Michael gets real huffy. He gets real huffy and says that it's only going to get worse until he finds out why he was set up. And Richard Schiff's just like, okay. (laughs) Uh, Do we know for a fact, I mean, I know that his name is Philip Cowan, but like, is it impossible that he isn't also just Toby Ziegler? I don't think it's impossible. He works for the government. Exactly. Has high security clearance. Exactly. Could it be the same universe? I like to think that the West Wing and Burn Notice exist in the same universe. Exactly. Yeah. And so this scene is good. And again, this... Thomas is great because at the very end of the scene, um, after Michael gets all huffy, Thomas is like, hey, if you got to make an important call, I can just leave. Very good. (laughs) Very good comic timing. Very good. Ending number three. um, So Michael and Fee say goodbye to Thomas. They're back on their back, I guess, the hotel. They're just on the street. Sometimes they're just on the street in this Mm -hmm. show. Also, when Michael isn't looking, uh, Thomas tries to go in for a kiss with Fee and he is politely rebuffed. After Thomas leaves, Michael... Like, gets out of the trunk a gift for Fee. It's a Miami snow globe. And it's extremely sweet. A great payoff to not only that we know that Fiona collects snow globes, but that she also is missing one now because she used it to save Michael's life. Exactly. It's just a really sweet, out-of-nowhere gesture. And also that she's new to Miami. Sure, yeah. Yeah. No, I I really like that. And, like, this isn't yet again another episode where I, I fully buy these two as a couple. Yeah, They're totally. very sweet together. Like, they do things for one another. This is also, though, another example of Michael doing something nice, like, one of them doing something nice for the other one and then not getting a thank you. They Fiona does not thank him. Their love is too hot and overwhelming for politeness. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm asexual and I just don't get it. Yeah. I'm not overcome. <laughs> So much by emotion that I can't exactly. say a thank She's you. She's too horny to say thank you. <laughs> you know what? I buy that. And that's how the episode ends. For the fourth time. All right. Yeah, the fourth and final ending of this episode. Um, let's go to the spy tips. First one, uh, covert operatives have a hard time dating. Bummer, dude. Yeah, not a tip. Selling stolen goods requires you to be the kind of person who keeps their mouth shut and never, ever, ever gives out people's number. Again, that's not really like a... Yeah, yeah, it's nothing. Three, even the best spy leaves a paper trail. If you've been making illicit deals for the government, someone might look into that and make think that you're working against the government and then burn you. I think that's a little too specific. Yeah. Four, when you're fighting against a big man who knows what he's doing, it helps to know the terrain better than he does. This is like basically the same tip as know where your exits are. Like we've gotten right. a variation on this tip once an episode basically. Fine. So no, I would not count this one. Fine. Anyway, next one, uh, number five. A good cover ID is a team effort. Put people between you and your target and make them come to you. Uh, this is thematically similar to some tips we have in the past, but I do think it is specific enough in this case that it does count. Yes. Because it does, like, the tip is, so you can't be the only person that has an alias. Someone else has an alias too. You have to have a Chuck family. Yeah. And so I'll give them, I'll give you that one. That one's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Just because someone believes you are who you say you are doesn't mean he'll do what you want him to do. That's nothing. Seven. Clandestine meetings are never fun. It's not fear of death. It's driving to a place with a bag over your head. Sometimes they wash the bag. Sometimes they don't. This is a funny bit because they return to it multiple times. Exactly. Michael is so irritated that they keep putting a We haven't even mentioned all the running bits. There's a lot of running bits in this episode. This is just a good... It's, it's genuinely a very, very good episode. No, yeah. This is not a good tip. I, here's the thing. It's a good bit, a bad tip. It's a good bit, a bad tip. 
I mean, okay. Obviously, I've never been, like, taken to a secondary location that had a bag put over my head. Sure. So, like... A, I don't know if that's a thing that actually happens. And if it does, do they wash the bag? I mean... I mean, if you can prove... If someone can prove to me that they actually... This happens a lot... And they don't wash the bag, and it does smell. But why would they what? have the same bag? Yeah, that every was time? That, that's my thing. It's not so much that like I don't believe that they wouldn't wash the bag. Like that makes sense to me. But it's crazy that they like they have in their carry on like they've got like two pairs of underwear, two pairs of socks, their kidnapping bag. But also, <laughs> it's crazy that it's, it's just a, the same bag. I mean, it depends on how often they do it. Because I imagine if you're in doing the this... same place, because like the Libyans are just in town for a little while, presumably meaning based on Michael's observation that they have brought the bag with them from their uh, like so the. Bag has gone from a secondary location. Exactly. <laughs> um, the thing about security is that the things that uh, protect you can be turned against you by someone who knows what they're doing. It's tough to compromise a good security system, but it's easier to make someone think you have. So this is very similar to other tips that we've had before, where it's basically like, if someone knows what they're doing, they can do a thing. So nine, uh, you can shoot a laser at a surveillance camera and overload the light-sensitive chip to stop it from working. Is that possible? Yeah. I, I guess. I mean, the same way that, like, an optical bug is a laser pointed to the window. I mean, I, yeah, but I think I've actually heard of that outside of Fernandez. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Lasers, man. They're magic. Number ten. If you have a bunch of stuff that makes it look like a large amount of people have been surveilling someone with high security, they will actually think that a large amount of people have been surveilling them. So basically, live, leave a lot of cigarette butts. Mm-hmm. Anyone who is surveilling anyone in anything smokes a lot. Like, mm-hmm. there's always, that is always the tip. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's to indicate that time has passed. Yes. Although they also mentioned leaving uh, a camera cap, which mm-hmm. is also smart. Yeah, yeah, like really specific, concrete, like little yeah. things. And then 11, even the security team itself can be a problem. The more employees you have, the more you have to worry about. Offer a security guard some money and or threaten him. And if he's a good guy, he'll tell his boss, who wonders how many other guards haven't told him anything. I feel like that's the least practical of the three. But it's also very specific in that, like, regardless of what the fallout is of a guard being given a bribe, you can use that to your advantage to fuck with the, like, the boss. Okay, I'll take it. All right, 12. uh, One of the dangers of psychological warfare is that it can be too effective and send the target into a paranoid tailspin. The paranoia can be useful or deadly. And I mean, like, that's sort of practical, but that's also sort of obvious. Like, if you fuck with someone, it might go wrong. Yeah, it's sort (laughs) of big. Um, 13. The key to good security is consistency, but that consistency makes you predictable. I feel yeah. like we've gotten that advice before too. Kind of. Because yeah. the the one of the like the lawyer in one of the earlier episodes like has a very specific routine yeah. and Michael remarks upon how much he likes the routine because it's like they're doing their your job yeah. for you. Again, specificity is key. And the last one, number fourteen, it's easy to make it look like someone is robbing a bank <laughs> if they arrive there. Um, and have all of these materials. Exactly. Uh, shoot out a few security cameras, stop traffic with a stolen car. And fire up a spark gap transmitter to kill the security radios. It's so easy to do that. <laughs> it's so easy to just fire up your spark gap transmitter. A thing I had to turn on. I had to turn on the captions just to figure out what the fuck he was saying because I've never heard of a spark gap transmitter. Well, now you have, and you can use it for whatever practical uses that you need. Uh, spark gap transmitter is my favorite '70s prog band. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and that's it. Those are the tips. Let's get into rating this episode. So, first of all, is this an episode of television or a great episode of television? Uh, so, you liked this episode better than the one two episodes ago, which we rated a great episode of television. Are you prepared to support this as a great episode of television? I will say, again, in as much as we are saying great episode. About, sure. Um, Relative may, to Burn Notice and other exactly. shows of its kind. We, we might have... I, I feel like we shot ourselves in the foot a little bit by saying great. But I do genuinely really like this episode. I think it's the most well-structured burn notice that we've had so far. I think, yeah, it all these setups, setups and payoffs are so well done. There's so many delightful individual scenes and yes. moments. Um, so, yeah, no, this is uh, definitely, like, a great episode of television. Very, very, <laughs> he, he says very quietly because he doesn't want to admit it. Um, it is, at the very least, a very good episode of television. I would not rate this episode an A. Sure. But I rated a B plus. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I will give you that. So I agree. I think this is a great episode of television. Now, is it a great episode of Burn Notice? So we have 
We've decided that we have enough spy tips, which I was not expecting going into this episode because they were handling them so poorly at the beginning. Yeah. Well, no, let's let's go one by one. But so yeah. number one in rating whether or not this is a good uh, episode of Burn Notice, uh, does he solve the problem with spycraft over violence? Definitely. He definitely does, so. Yeah. Done. Number two is his spy voiceover. Uh, are there at least five solid practical tips in the spy vo- voiceover? And yes. We, and we've decided that there are. Yeah, there are five that we both agree are practical. Yes. So, done. Number three, distinct alias. No. No, not a distinct alias. No. This is actually, okay, but this is a question going forward. Sure. Does it count if we get a distinct Sam alias? Hmm. I mean, we do specify that it's a Michael Weston alias, and obviously he is burn notice, so. He is burn notice. In order for it to be a good burn notice episode. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that the appearance of Chuck Finley is an automatic yes for number four. Well, it, it and Sam I, as well. Yeah. Um, because Chuck Finley is pink, is peak Sam X. It very much is. And I, but I was also just thinking about this in the future in case there is an episode that relies heavily on a Sam alias, if that counts as an alias. I think depending on how distinct Chuck gets to be, yes. Because yeah. I think in this one, even though it's his first appearance, Chuck doesn't really do anything. No, he doesn't do anything. I would, I'm like... Does he ever have, does he ever do aliases that have different names after this? I don't he might once or twice as the situation calls for it, but almost hundred percent of the time, if Sam is going by a different name, it's Chuck slash Charles Finley. Okay, cool. But yeah, I'm willing to revisit it if it's a an episode that relies heavily on the Chuck Charles boy. I will say and yeah, and if he's making Chuck or Charles a character that feels like distinct from Sam X. Sure. Like if he's just if he's just doing great Sam Ack stuff, then it's just Pete Bruce Campbell. Yeah. But like, if he's playing a character, if he's doing like a an accent or if something, if he's so Sam Ack that well, he also is so Chuck Finley, well, then would, it counts for both those tenants. Okay, I can see that because I was saying like, if he has to, if he has to be a French waiter, like he is in Spider Man Three. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that's something that I am open to being flexible on in the future. All right. Cool. Um, so we have uh, two so far. No, we, we well and and Fee and Sam are they used well? Hell yes, yes they are. They are. So that's a that's a three out of four, which is all that you need to become a great Burn Notice episode. So exactly. this is not only a great episode of television, but a great episode of Burn Notice. Good job, good job, <laughs> Jason and uh, Craig. Well done. Well uh, done, boys. Well done. All right. Um, well, what, there's nothing else to say there. Nope. Um, which is it's kind of I will say it's interesting because. One of my hypotheses that hypotheses that I had going into this show was that um, there a lot of the time a great episode of television is going to be a bad episode of Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. But so far, has not been the case. Has not been the case. I think you like your main premise for that hypothesis was that because a great episode of Burn Notice, as we have defined it, is so heavily structured that it's hard to be a great episode of television within that strict of a structure. Well, I mean, not necessarily that. Um, it's so heavily structured because I'm a big fan of structure. I mean, mm-hmm. like, this episode is very heavily structured. Uh, but, but no, but you did specifically say, like, citing the body from Buffy um, is that, like, like, breaking from structure is well, usually breaking, what makes I would say specifically great. breaking from format, and that's different from structure. Fair enough. But yeah, as we have proved, so at least far. so far, doesn't have to be the case. All right. Um, well, uh, thank you for listening. And as always, uh, thank you to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. Uh, if you want to hear more from Vince, and I highly recommend that you do, you can go to vincentel.bandcap.com. Cool. And that's an episode. That's an episode. Uh, Until next week, burn that notice. Keep trying.